0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together.
1: What's your name, bro? What's your name? Rocky? Rocky will come over and play during your personal devotionals if you want him to, just so you can have some ambiance. He's... His friends and family rate is $80 an hour, so um, (laughs) you you would count as friends and family. If you Google uh, the question, what do we worry most about? If you type that in on your Google search, what do people worry most about? What do we worry most about? What do you think is the number one answer? Talk to me. Money. Money, 100%, it's money. Money's the number one answer, and number two is a distant second. You know what number two is? retirement which is not a different answer that's the same answer like it, and it's dis, it's a distant second we worry most about money and that's why i think that worry and greed tend to go together where one is you'll find the other Uh, Worry drags greed along with it, and greed drags worry along with it. I'm going to talk about this just a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand as we open up the Bible this morning. And I think there are three reasons why worry and greed tend to go together. One is the comparison game. And we live in a culture where we have an incredible amount of information at our fingertips, where we can compare ourselves to one another. I don't think I need to convince you of this, right? This is one time in in human history, we have an incredible amount of of information accessible to us. You can go home and Google, what is so-and-so's net worth? And Google will tell you so-and-so's net worth. There might be people in this room, we could Google your net worth, and Google would tell us that. You know that Facebook originally wasn't Facebook. It was a way that you could rate whether someone was good-looking or not. That's how Facebook started. Compared to other people, is this person ridiculously good-looking or not at all, right? That's how Facebook started. We surf Instagram all day and go, you know what, I'm not as pretty as she is, but I think I'm a better mom than she is. I think I'm winning the comparison game, right? For me, it's like his calves are bigger than mine, so you know what, I need to get bigger calves. And what happens is, we worry, and then we try to acquire. That person's net worth is higher than mine, so I need to acquire more in order to provide for my family, or whatever. We start to worry, and then we acquire, and then we worry, and then we acquire. Second reason I think is, this is true is that we confuse needs with wants. We confuse needs with wants all the time. We use this phrase, I need, and the reality is you just want, you don't really need. Uh, My wife and I uh, closed on a house this last Thursday, just a couple days ago. We moved yesterday, so if I'm not moving all that great this morning, that's why. And we've been having this conversation because the last year and a half, I've been driving a loner car. I can't buy a car because when you're closing on a house, if you sneeze financially, right, they're like, no, it's over, the whole thing goes out. So I've been driving a loaner car, and we're having this conversation. She tells me that she needs blinds. We don't need blinds. You know how I know that? Because we got sheets and thumbtacks. We don't need blinds. And I tell her, I need a car. and She's like, did your family have two cars growing up? I got a car. Did your family have two cars? No, my family didn't have two cars. My mom would wake me up at three o'clock in the morning along with my brother and my sister. She'd put us in one of those wood panel station wagons. Remember those? My dad would throw in an eight track of Don McLean's American Pie, not the short version, the long version, so I can still sing every word. We would take my dad to his job in the oil field. My mom would take us back home, put us back in bed. We'd sleep for another couple hours. We'd get up and go to school. When we got off of school, my mom would pick us up we go pick my dad up from work and come home one car one car we don't need a car we don't need blinds (laughs) guess which one of those we bought first blinds Blinds. that's right that's right blinds (laughs) and we start to worry if I don't have blinds what's going to happen to me if I don't have a car what's going to happen I can't get my kids to and from school what, what's what's going to happen to me? And so we acquire and we acquire and we acquire. And here's the third thing we say this phrase to ourselves more often than we'd like to admit. I deserve. It's been a long year. I deserve a vacation. It's been a long day. I deserve a beer. I deserve something. I deserve that promotion. I deserve, and, and I'm going to say this: just Christians in the room. I, you know, if you are not a Christian in the room, this is this is not for you. This is for other people in the room. Biblically speaking, you know what we deserve, right? You don't deserve a vacation this year. <laughs> And we say those things to ourselves and we begin to worry, what's going to happen to me if I don't have them? And so we acquire and we acquire and we acquire. And listen to me, you will never have enough. Because one day, it's all going to burn. One day, you're going to die and all the riches that you have will not prolong your life. If Steve Jobs couldn't do it, you can't do it. You will never have enough. And so what we do is we dump things and money and whatever it is into this sieve that is leaking out the other end and we will never have enough and we're in this perpetual state of worry. And greed drags worry along with it and worry drags greed along with it. Worry and greed go together like the Green Bay Packers and disappointment. (laughs) That's my first main point this morning. If you're jotting things down, please write that down. Where one is, the other will follow. Chargers fans, you probably feel the same way this morning, don't you? They are bedfellows. But here's the deal, before we get to the parable. You know that worry and greed are symptoms of a deeper problem. What's happening on the surface when we worry, what's happening on the surface when we seek to acquire is pointing out something that's going on much, much deeper within the context of our hearts. And so what happens in the passage that we're looking at this morning in Luke chapter 12, don't open your Bibles quite yet, track with me, and then we'll open them up in a minute. What happens is that this individual makes a demand of Jesus, and it gives Jesus the opportunity to put his finger on the symptoms of worry and greed in this man's life. And then, once Jesus puts his finger on those symptoms, he gives this man a vision of what wholeness looks like and true healing looks like. And then he says, now let's get to the heart of the issue. Let's get to the core of the issue. Are you tracking with me? We see the symptom. Then Jesus gives a vision for what wholeness and healing looks like. And then he says, now now let's get to the core of the issue. What's really going on inside the context of your heart? That's what we're going to read this morning. Are you with me? Cool. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can look on with somebody next to you. The scripture is up here on the screen. Luke chapter 12. It's a little bit of a chunk of scripture, but it's important that we read the entire thing. I'll point out why here in a minute. Luke chapter 12, we're gonna start here in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And look up at me, this is fascinating. Here's the first thing that's happening in the life of Jesus right now. Jesus is, is at his height of popularity. There are literally thousands of people coming to see Jesus teach at this point. He's Jesus Bieber at this point. And people are trampling each other to get to him. And instead of kind of wielding that influence and that authority, he leans into his disciples. We see this in the verses before. It's wild. He leans into his disciples and he's like, listen guys, here's the deal. And he's like just talking with his disciples like this. And the rest of the crowd can't hear him. Like, look, I came to see you. I came to hear you. And so so somebody shouts out and he doesn't shout out a question. What does he shout out? Look at it. Look at it. Verse 13. What's he say? He can't shout out a command, doesn't he? He just demanded something of the living God. Sharp cookie this guy is, right? Here's the other thing that's happening. This is likely the younger brother in this particular situation and cultural context. The older brother would have received X in terms of an inheritance. This younger brother would have received half of X. So he's worried that he might not have enough. And when he gets worried that he might not have enough, he gets greedy that he needs more. Do you see it? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance of the new. Jesus said to him, that sounds like a you problem, bro. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. For one's life does not consist and the abundance of his possessions. Stop right there, I think this is really fascinating. Some of you might be reading in the New International Version of the scripture I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Mine is translated covetousness. How many of you have a translation in front of you, raise your hand if you would, that translates that word greed? All kinds of greed, right? Same word. And Jesus, the the, the dictionary defines greed as a selfish desire for more. And it even says, typically, food, money, or power. That's typically the things that greed is associated with. But do you see Jesus' language here? He says, be on your guard against what? All kinds of covetousness, all kinds of greed. See, Jesus acknowledges that we could be greedy for fame. We could be greedy for influence. We could be greedy for authority we could be greedy ladies and gentlemen for comfort (laughs) a selfish desire for more comfort more fame more money and he says be on your guard against all kinds of greed the next verse verse 16 says and he told them a parable stop there we're in a little mini series here at north on the parables of jesus these are short fictional stories with a spiritual point, okay? Jesus is gonna make a spiritual point with this short story that he's about to tell. Last week, we talked about the Good Samaritan, remember? Talked about the Good Samaritan. This week, he tells this parable. He says this, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Look at me. Do you see the I deserve in here? You have plenty. Eat, drink, be merry. That's get drunk. Golf. Go to the Waste Management Open. If you've got tickets, I'd like to go. (laughs) This is what's happening with this man. And he's worried that his current barns won't store enough. So not only is he worried about that, but he's wasteful because he wants to tear down his old ones and build newer, bigger barns. But God said to him, verse 20, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose then will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's the interesting part here. Most folks, even when they preach this passage, will stop there at the parable right? Stop at the end of that parable and say, here's the point of the parable. Don't invest in earthly things. You should invest in heavenly things. Be generous. Now, that is a point of the parable, but listen, track with me, look at me. It's so important that you hear this. It's only secondary. Greed is the symptom. Two reasons that I know that that's only secondary and not the primary purpose of the parable. Two really important reasons. Please track with me. Number one, one of my favorite theologians says that every single parable is intrinsically Christological. That is to say that when Jesus tells a story like this, the spiritual point he's making is not about you, it's about him. You with me? Remember last week, we were sure, we, we, we figured this out and we all even said it together because I told you you had to, that I am not the good Samaritan, remember? And if we misinterpret that parable, what we end up doing is we say, look, this Samaritan helped this man on the side of the road. So that's what Jesus is asking me to do. He's asking me to help those who are in need. And that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is you were broken, beaten, left for dead with nothing spiritually and an unlikely hero, that is Jesus from Nazareth, a carpenter came along and helped you. That's the point of that parable. And, and, and if we get it confused, if we get it twisted, what we end up doing is preaching a gospel of behavior modification. That is to say that it's on you to please God. And here's one way you can do it, by being generous. Thanks everybody for coming to North this morning. Have a great day. Let me pray and we'll close. Every single parable is intrinsically Christological. That is to say the key question here is not what is Jesus teaching me about me, but what is Jesus teaching me about him? Somebody say amen, please. Here's the second reason I know that. Look at the next verse. It's absolutely mission critical. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you. One of my favorite preachers, and many of yours as well, a guy named Daryl Del Hussey, used to say this. Anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? (laughs) Jesus tells this parable, he tells this story, and then he says, and here's the reason I told it. He is going to explicitly tell us exactly why he just told this story. He's gonna just lay it out before us so that we aren't confused that this parable is about us. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. And so before we read it, we're gonna go back to worry and greed for a minute. Notice that this man, or before we read the explicit reason that Jesus tells the parable before he gives us a vision for wholeness before he tells us the root issue and the core issue and gives us a solve he's now identified the symptoms right of worry and greed before we get there I I want you to understand that this man is not chastised for business success did you see that like if you have a company that's doing really well and you're building bigger barns. Like, Jesus does not get after him for that. Nor does he say, your worry is crazy. You know what he says to him in the parable, what God says to this man? Fool, tonight your life will be required of you. In other words, look at me, he says, you are not in control. This parable is not a parable about greed. It's not even a parable about worry. It's a parable about control. And what do worry and greed have to do with control? I'm glad you asked. Worry is your way of saying, God, I think I'd do a better job in control than you're doing. Now, some of you just heard that, and you could just repent and walk out, because that's what God wanted to say to you today. Worry is your way of saying to God, God, I know you're in control, but I think I've got a better way of doing this than you do. I should be in that seat. Greed is your way of saying, God, I know you said you would provide, but I think you've come up short on this one, so I need just a touch extra that's what worry and greed have to do with control and this is not a new thing you know this goes back to original man and original woman right the serpent came to the woman original woman and said to her did god really say you cannot eat of that tree nor even touch it and genesis chapter 3 says when the woman saw that the fruit was good and, and 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 it was pleasing to the eye. See the greed there. And that it would make her what? Do you remember? Like God. Aha. I'm greedy for more. I should be in God's chair. I worry about the way he's providing. I should be in God's chair. He's not doing a good job being in control. I should be in God's chair. I should be in control. And so she took it and she ate it. This is an age old problem. It is a symptom. It is 100% not the disease. Jesus is going to point out the disease. First thing he's going to say is look. If we can get to the bottom of this disease that you're experiencing, that showing up as worry and greed on the outside, if we can get to the bottom of it, here's what it's gonna look like. Verse 22. Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Vision number one. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Vision number two. Oh, sorry, keep going, 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Vision number two. Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive today in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just say, all right, everyone, there's a rich man. He's done really well. He's got grain in his barns, but he wants to build bigger barns, so he builds bigger barns, and he puts, or he intends to build bigger barns to store more grain, and God comes along and says, fool, this night, will requ- your life will be required of you. So Jesus says, here's the moral of the story. Don't be greedy, and don't worry. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's not what Jesus says. I love the fact that he doesn't say that. You know why? Because that doesn't work. When's the last time, men of God, when's the last time you were talking to your spouse and she was worried about something? She was anxious about something. Do you remember that? Can you picture it in your head the last time? Have you ever tried this in those situations? Hey, babe. Don't worry. You're laughing because it's stupid, right? It doesn't work. It causes a bigger fight, doesn't it? Like, you don't even listen to my emotions. Like, I was trying to watch the game. I don't know what you're, you interrupted me with your word. It doesn't work. Don't be greedy, right? That doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know why? Because you're just addressing the symptom. Jesus wants to get to the core of the issue. And if we can get to the core of the issue, what will happen is the symptoms on the outside will subside. They'll deal with themselves. It's like putting like an an anti-itch cream on a cancerous tumor, right? We got to get that thing out of there. And Jesus gets to the heart of the issue and gets down to the bottom of these things with some theological principles, some Christological principles. Why? Because the parable is teaching us something about whom? Jesus. Not teaching us something about ourselves, teaching us something about Jesus. That's the primary point. So if you're jotting down notes, three things. Three things that Jesus is teaching us here. Number one, here it is, jot it down. God is in control. You know what that means by implication? You're not. Fool. What are you doing building bigger barns? This night, your life will be required of you. Remember, this is not a parable about worry or greed. It's a parable about what? Control. You're not in control, slick. I am. Two individuals cannot simultaneously be in control of the exact same thing. Two individuals cannot simultaneously be in control of a car. They can fight for control, but control goes back and forth between one individual and the other. And what God wants to say to you, and this is what Jesus says in follow-up, he says, you can't even add a single hour to your life. You can't do even a small thing as that. Did you hear it? Did you hear that language in verse 25 and 26? Then why are you anxious about the rest? You can't even do this little thing. It's like my four-year-old wanting to drive a car. Back to the car analogy. So like my four-year-old wanting to drive a car. You can't even reach the pedals. What am I going to do? You can't control this thing. You trying to reach the accelerator, going like this. I feel a little bit that way sometimes too. Short stature, can you know, sit on blocks and you know. You are not in control. And worry. Is your way of saying, God, I think I'd be better in control than you. And Jesus says, Do you know how little control you really have? Your life could be required of you tonight. That's God's prerogative. You can't even add a single hour to your life, no matter how much money, fame, influence, no matter how big your barns are, no matter how great a car you've got, no matter how awesome a boat you got, no matter how little you've got, no matter how many good things you've done, you cannot add a single hour to your life. Look at me, because this is mission critical, and these theological principles will get you through the most difficult moments in your life. Look at me, listen, God is in control. Tracking? Okay, hey, here's even better news. Ready? Number 2, look up on the screen. God loves you. Do you hear how tender the language is here? Jesus did not say to this man, "Look, idiot, I don't know what you want me to do with you and your brother and whatever the heck's going on here, but you're a greedy son of a gun, and that's your problem. Fix it. No, listen to what he said. Fear not, little flock. Did you hear it? How tender that language is? Consider the lilies. They neither toil nor spin. Consider the ravens. They have neither storehouses nor barns. Do you hear how many times Jesus in those verses repeated the word father? Your father knows that that you need them. Your father will provide. Your father clothes those lilies in all of their splendor. I want you to know, and we sang it today, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never gives out on me. So what it means is that God is in control, and now here's the next thing, is that he loves you beyond measure, beyond our ability to even put into words. That's why Jesus uses such tender language here. I just I love that fear not little flock. It's just like he's patting a little lamb on the head. Don't be scared. Don't worry. Why? Why? Because I love you. You're my kid. You say that to your own children, don't you, parents in the room? I got you. I say that to my eight year old, four year old all the time. I got you. You don't have to jump in the driver's seat of this car that you don't know how to drive, these pedals that you cannot reach. I'm in control, number one, and I love you more than your mom does. I've never said that. Not, I've never said that, but as far as you know. Um, this is a theological principle. It's not an anthropological principle. That is to say, this is about God, not you. Are you tracking with me? That's why the tender language. Here's the third thing. Jesus wants us to know that God is always enough. Did you catch the language so it is with people who store up treasures for themselves on earth and are not rich toward God. Did you catch that language? It's kind of interesting language, isn't it? Then Jesus ends up saying, look, give stuff away. Give to the needy. Give to the poor. Sell your things and give them away. Not to impress God, but listen, because God has already given all of what you need to you in himself. You've already got plenty. You've already got enough. Three things that address the core of the issue when it comes to worry and greed, and I'm going to tell you one story about myself and about how these three theological principles got me through the most difficult time in my whole life. And then we'll be done. God is in control. God loves you. And he will always be enough. Close your Bibles, if you would. Take just eight minutes, tell you a quick story about myself. I don't want to make this about me. This is about you and God. But I want you to know that if you allow God to address these core issues in your heart, it will sustain you through diagnosis and disease and heartbreak and grief and mental health and you name it. This is not about, I'm going to choose to have less anxiety. I'm going to choose to have less greed. I'm going to choose, no, 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 no. It's about placing your faith in a God who is three things. God is in what? Control, and God what? Loves you, and he will always be enough. I remember where I was when my wife said, I think we should adopt children. Uh, We were in the car, driving to a wedding south on the 101. She said, I think we should adopt children. And then she added this phrase, "Uh, and I think that's what God wants too. And I said, all right, let's talk about it, right? Turn the radio off, let's talk about it. We adopted Kaya in uh, 2014. Kaya has two older, full biological siblings. Uh, Her parents her biological parents. Uh, were not married at the time. They were going through a a challenging time, to say the very least, in their life and chose to place their third child for adoption. Real quickly, um, be careful how you talk about uh, individuals who place their children for adoption. Be careful. You know why? It's just the most sacrificial and courageous thing I've ever seen anyone do. It's a very, very godlike thing that I saw someone do. You tracking with me? So be careful. So these individuals, these two wonderful, wonderful people, make this extraordinarily sacrificial choice to place their child for adoption uh, with us. And we maintained with them for a time what's called an open uh, relationship. Uh, That means that we exchange pictures, we exchange texts and emails, and we would go and visit them and see them, and Kaya knows her biological siblings and her biological parents. And it was uh, so extraordinary, so unique. Uh, The first week that Kaya was born, we took them to church for the very first time. They both walked the aisle and gave their lives to Jesus uh, a week after Kaya was born. I mean, it was just, you're just going like, this story, nobody can write this. This is incredible. I also remember where I was when Amy texted me a picture of an ultrasound. I was at the gym, and I responded with, whose womb is this? (laughs) This is Kaya's uh, biological mom. And she's got another one coming. Same biological dad. Fantastic human beings, like I said. And they've asked us to adopt the other one. Awesome. So for eight months, seven and a half, we journeyed with them. We paid all birth mom expenses. That's what you do in adoption. Um, we visited them a couple times during that time. We came down uh, when the baby was born a couple days early. The baby was born via C-section. Baby had a couple complications, so baby was in the hospital for five days. Uh, we did every diaper change, every bottle feeding, everything that you know, that, that baby needed for five days. And an hour before discharge, uh, biological mom changed her mind. And decided to keep that baby. Uh, Amy and I have never had a child lost in death, an infant lost in death. We've never had a miscarriage that we know of, been married for 17 years. We've never been pregnant that we know of. So I'm not comparing it to what you might have experienced if you've lost an infant in death, but what I would say to you is that experts and professionals would compare it to something similar psychologists, sociologists, or psychologists in particular, and grief counselors and professional therapists would say that the grief of, of a failed adoption, especially that one when you've held and touched the baby and cared for the baby for five days, would be similar to, to losing a child in death. I remember I walked out of the hospital room and I collapsed on the hospital floor. Amy had to pick me up and walk me out. I remember having conversations with my wife about um, would we ever do this again? And the answer at that point was no. Nope. <laughs> nope, not interested. I remember having a conversation with Kai's biological parents saying, um, it's it's over. This relationship that we've had with you that's been so extraordinary for the last couple of years is, is done. Uh, we don't fault you for making the decision that you made. We don't think that was a morally wrong choice. In fact, any time a biological parent chooses to parent their baby, that's a good thing, okay? So we were in on that. But the grief and the hurt associated with it, we just, we couldn't bear to continue that relationship. Three one. But God is in control. And. He loves you, and he loves me. He loves Aim, and he loves Kaya, and he loves her biological parents and her biological siblings. And he's always more than enough. And so through that grief, through that challenge, and through that difficulty, and through that confusion, and through that worry, We, we had to build our life and our faith and our thoughts on those three theological principles. You know what didn't work then? When people said to me, don't worry. I wanted to punch them in the face. God, God will bring another baby along. You don't worry about it. Oh, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I was worried until you said don't worry. Now I'm not worried anymore. You know what did work? God's in control, and he loves me, and he's always more than enough. And when we took control a little bit, said that relationship is over with Kai's biological parents, um, I think God giggled just a little bit. <laughs> you remember, you cannot simultaneously be in control, right? God said, you relax, I'm in control. And when you're ready to follow my lead, We'll move forward. So there came a moment when we did. And he started to heal that relationship, and we started to communicate again. And about 10, 12 months later, when they decided that they were finally going to get married, guess who officiated their wedding? And guess who was the maid of honor? And guess who was the flower girl? Kaya. Kaya. Because he's in control, and he loves you, and he's more than enough. We had another one fail after that. Wasn't easy, but those theological principles sustained us. And then there was Canaan, who came out of the womb talking and has not stopped since then. I tell you the story for a couple reasons. One, I'm gonna t- tell you the reason I, I didn't tell you that story. So you could go ask my kids about it. That's why oh, I didn't tell you that. Uh, I love you. You seem like wonderful people. I'm their dad. <laughs> I don't need you to step in. Ooh, you know what your dad told us this morning? Tell me all about it. Please don't. I love you. I know you wouldn't, but your spouse probably would. So just don't, okay? Just <laughs> don't. I also don't tell you that story to make it about me. I tell you the story because these principles will change your worry. And they will change your greed. And they will sustain you for the most difficult times in your life. You have to hear God saying to you, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have to hear him say, consider the lilies. You have to hear him say, consider the ravens. And then... You can give everything away. Just give it away because I'm more than enough. Just give it away because I love you. And don't worry because I'm in control. Not just principles from the scripture, but principle, principles that I've lived and, and continue to work to live. Last couple years hadn't been easy for me, Nate. Last couple years hadn't been easy. and We got to continue to build our life on those principles. And I would encourage you to do the same Thing. we're going to close with a song uh, this morning the band's going to come back up we sang it last week together it's called uh, Honey in the Rock and I, I was thinking this week about, like, where is this? Did I miss, in my two master's degrees in theology, did I miss the story about honey and the rock in the Old Testament? Did I miss that story? Anybody else raise their hand and say, well, wouldn't it? There, I, there was honey and the manna, like, I'm, I'm, I remember that part, and there was, there was a lion's carcass, honey. What, what, what did I miss? There's, like, four people in the room who are like, yeah, I missed that. And the rest of us are like, I just like the song. Psalm chapter 80 verse 19 talks about God providing honey from a rock. What he's saying is that there are places in your life that are extraordinarily barren, just a stone, just a rock, just dirt. We live in the desert. I don't have to belabor that point. (laughs) And what God is able to do in those moments is miraculously provide something that's not just provision like manna, but something that's sweet, like honey. You know why he's able to do that? Because he's in control. You know why not just that he's able to do that, he's able to do it because he's in control. You know why he does it? Because he loves you. Because he's always more than enough. Let's stand together.
0: In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts.
1: you can trust him because he's in control. And you should trust him because he loves you and he's always enough. That song is a metaphor, so don't go outside and look for actual honey in a rock. You'll be disappointed, but I would look for those uh, moments of sweetness uh, this week and the moments that you feel that you're in a wilderness, you're in a barren part of your life, and look for the ways that God is in control and that He's providing more than enough for you and rest in His uh, unbelievable and extraordinary love for you. Fear not, little flock. Hmm. If you're struggling with uh, worry, anxiety, uh, anything that kind of is on your heart. Today would be a great day to take advantage of prayer partners in the back, uh, on this side, just on your way out. People there, uh, happy to just pray for you, pray with you, uh, whatever you might need. Uh, Thanks for being here. See you all next week. Have a great Sunday. Go Pack Go! Bye.